at that point, because I had it memorized and I was like, I know this. But then right before my TEDx talk, the speaker ahead of me basically told me that she didn't believe in ADHD and that children just needed to climb more trees. And this is an extremely respected community member. So I just was bawling my eyes out and just so distressed and kind of had to pull it together in the 15 minutes before my talk. And that really rattled me. And it was really unfortunate because I had the cards and at the beginning, I kind of, I made the cards a character in it and I put them down and I was like, I can do this. And then I ended up needing to like bend down and look at the cards a couple of times and they cut out the part, unfortunately, where I picked up the cards and everyone clapped because it was like such a real moment. And this audience was like so on board. Thomas Edison, Richard Branson, John F. Kennedy, Mozart, Michael Jordan, Will Smith. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of vocations. Why is it that we rarely hear that they have or had ADHD? And you know what we hear even less about? Serena Williams, Emma Watson, Mel Robbins, Whoopi Goldberg, Agatha Christie, Aaron Brockovich, Cher. Yeah, the successful women navigating ADHD. And that's exactly why I started this podcast, ADHD for Smartass Women. I'm your host, Tracy Otsuka. I'm a lawyer, not a doctor, a lifelong student, now a coach. I'm also the creator of Your ADHD Brain is A-OK, a system that helps people like you figure out what they should do with their life. And we're here today to talk ADHD, your strengths, your symptoms, your workarounds, and how you proudly stand out instead of trying to fit in. I credit my ADHD for some of my greatest gifts. And you know what? I spy a happier life for you too. So without further ado, a shiny new episode is starting now. Hello, I am your host, Tracy Otsuka. Thank you so much for joining me here for episode number 203 of ADHD for Smartass Women. I hope you'll subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter over at tracyotsuka.com. Before we start, I want to let you know that our AOK Everyday 2023 planner is available now. And you can find it at tracyoutsuka.com forward slash AOK hyphen every day. And if you use the code podcast 2023, you'll get $10 off of the digital version. Unfortunately, I can't offer it for the printed version because it is so expensive to print. Anyway, this is my third year offering AOK every day. I have used some permutation of this planner for the last four years. It is the only planner that has ever worked for me, and I've bought them all. AOK every day is a very simple system that I built using a series of cards. And my premise is that we struggle with planners because out of sight is out of mind, and 
what do you have to do with a typical planner? You have to find the correct month. Then you have to find the correct week. And then you have to find the correct day, right? And who has time for that? So what happens is we see it sitting on our desk, but we forget we even have a planner because it's just too much work. Hence, the series of cards that I built this planner around. AOK Every Day is also built around positive emotion. I simplify everything and show you how to finally make a planner work for your brain. So if you're interested, you can either go to our show notes at tracyoutsuka.com forward slash podcast forward slash 203. Or for more information and the link for AOK Every Day, go directly to tracyoutsuka.com forward slash AOK hyphen every day. My purpose is always to show you who you are and then inspire you to be it. In the thousands of ADHD women that I've had the privilege of meeting, I've never met a one that wasn't truly brilliant at something, not one. And for that reason, I am just delighted to introduce you to Martha Barnard Ray. Martha is a personality and values-based SEO copywriter as CEO of everything at Word Candy, she helps businesses and agencies build seriously good client relationships with clever copy and content. Martha moonlights as a feminist scholar, a TEDx speaker, and sore loser of board games. Setting boundaries is her superpower. Her love language is Instagram reels. Martha, did I get all that right? You did. My love for Instagram reels is uh, fading a little bit. So I was thinking I might need to change that bio. But yes, it is all correct. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. So tell me first about the feminist scholar. Um, I did. So I used to be a teacher um, and I did my master's in education and I did my thesis on um, high achieving female students and their relationship to their femininity from a post-structural feminist perspective. And what that means in English is is sort of a, a study of how even though sort of, you know, high school students, year 12, I guess you call them seniors in America, um, students who are sort of high achieving girls are going outside the binary in terms of the types of things that they're studying, i.e. like there's less of an idea that like some subjects are girl subjects and some subjects are boy subjects. They're sort of not feeling the pressure in school to behave in a certain way because of their sex, but they still have these really strong ideas of like, you know, and particularly where I live, a lot of the girls that I was interviewing grew up on farms. And so they're like, I want to be a doctor or I want to be a lawyer. And also I want to be a stay at home mother when I have kids one day, because I think that that's just the way that it should be kind of thing. And, and so this was in 2014. A lot of the sort of language that the girls were using had sort of feminist undertones, but there was still that like, but I'm not a feminist sort of thing. And, and so, yeah, it was just really interesting to kind of understand, you know, they feel the pressures of wanting to look a certain way, wanting to come across a certain way. And also they sort of almost don't realize, and of course they're only 16, 17, don't sort of realize that 
a lot of the pressures that they're feeling are put on them by like society or patriarchy or the expectations of what a girl should be like. Well, and then what's, what's so silly about it too, is what is a feminist? A feminist is just a woman who believes that she should have equal opportunities, right? Exactly. Exactly. And that's a dirty word. Yeah. And that, you know, I, I always say that the word feminism needs a rebrand and, and this was around the time I'm sure you remember when, uh, Beyonce did like a big concert and behind her in lights was the word feminist. And, you know, that was a, a big deal because it was like, oh, Beyonce's a feminist. And it's like, yeah, we're all feminists. Like <laughs> we all just, you know, want equal opportunities for people of all genders. And so I think that maybe now, you know, honestly, I think that the young uh, sort of adults now are so much more knowledgeable than like maybe we were at that age about that stuff. Like I, I did an English degree in university and I remember being in my very early twenties and sitting in a class. Cause I took quite a few gender studies classes and having the moment where I was like, I'm a feminist. And then I like called my mom and I was like, mom, I'm a feminist. And she's like, yeah, no kidding. Like, <laughs> She's like, I know, but you know, so when I was sort of on one hand wanting to kind of be hard on these girls for not realizing, I do have that real memory of, you know, I was raised by feminist parents and it was just like, of course you're a feminist sort of thing. But I did have that moment where I was like, yeah, oh, that's what feminism is. I believe in that. So I I think we all kind of can come to that at different times. And I guess, you know, some of us never come to it. But yeah, that was the that was the feminist scholar piece. So I do I read a lot of really heavy but also really interesting sort of essays and and that kind of stuff um and just kind of try to keep current with kind of what's going on in that space. Yeah. Having raised um a feminist, I'm just blown away with what she reads today and I don't know who these authors are. But, yeah, and she's she has a point of view, and I just love to see it. Yeah, take the word back is what we need to do. Totally. Um, and then sore loser of board games that actually made me laugh because I am not a sore loser because I never lose because I will cheat in order oh, to. Oh, same. <laughs> and I think it's so funny, and the people I play with typically don't think it's so funny. Yeah. It's really tricky, right? Because so I am married to a person who, and I'm saying this while rolling my eyes, always does the right thing, right? So like when I was a kid, I grew up in Canada and we used to, you know, a couple times a summer, drive down to Lewiston in New York and go to a place called Art Park where you would like go and watch a play and then have a picnic and then like drive home. But the other thing that we always did on these trips is go and buy new sneakers because we were like, we're going into the US and it's whatever, it's cheaper and let's buy new stuff. But if you're staying out of Canada for less than 24 hours, you're supposed to pay the tax on the way back in on everything you bought. And my parents were like, (laughs) we're not doing that. Just wear the shoes, just like take the tags off. And I was having this conversation with my husband when we first started dating. And I was like, you know, what would your parents have done? And he was like, we would have paid the tax. And it's mm. like, oh, like we had this very different sort of um, upbringing in terms of like my parents weren't like 
sketchy or criminals, but it was like, well, we're not paying the tax on these sneakers. That's ridiculous. <laughs> 24 hours. Like, what, you know, who drew that line? Like, exactly. Why? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so, yeah. So the board game thing is like, um, I'm a bit of a cheater also. And it's tricky because I have two children and like my 10 year old son is on the autism spectrum and like he is like not a cheater. So I've kind of had to stop cheating um, because then I'm like, like, I can't have him being like, well, you cheated. So why can't I cheat? And I'm like, fine. <laughs> so occasionally I'll lose and then just like get, you know, grumpy. I'm quite competitive um, yeah. with that sort of stuff, particularly if it's like a word-based game. Oh, that's interesting. Well, and that's your area of expertise, so it makes sense. Yeah. My my theory is that I think that a lot of us cheat on stuff like this, like little stuff, not big stuff. I wouldn't exactly. cheat on big stuff, but the little stuff because it's boring if we don't, right? Yes. So it's kind of like how you up the ante and you make it more fun is, yeah, and, and I outwardly cheat, so I don't really cheat behind the scenes. It's more just to get a rise out of people, I yes. think. <laughs> Okay, so let's talk about your ADHD diagnoses first, since that's what we do here. I would love to know, what were the circumstances? Oh, my goodness. So um, I got diagnosed in at the beginning of last year, 2021. And I, after I had my first child, Henry, in 2012, I was diagnosed with anxiety, as we all are. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> I sort of like over the years, I kind of went back to the doctor a bunch of times and I was like, I don't think I have anxiety. Like I just, I don't know. I don't think this is right. And and I there must be something else that we can do because I'm taking this anxiety medication. I'm not really feeling any better. And like, you know, the doctor, I saw lots of doctors about it and they'd be like, have you tried yoga? And I'm like, <laughs> have you tried shutting up? Like, it's just ridiculous. Yoga is not the answer. <laughs> um, and so I think like a lot of us, I had really, really bad stomach issues. And I was diagnosed also with, I guess, IBS. And at the sort of end of 2020, like it was really a struggle. And I, I it was like Christmas time and I went to the doctor and it was, there weren't very many doctors on because it was Christmas. And the advice that this woman gave me was just like ridiculous. And I'm like, I'm not even a doctor. And I know that's idiotic. And I went to my best friend's house and I was really distressed because I was just like, what am I going to do? Like I said to this woman, this is affecting my mental health. Like I'm crying. And she's just like, oh, just take like laxatives kind of thing. And it was, so it was ridiculous. And as it turned out, her, my friend's brother-in-law and sister-in-law were visiting and he's a doctor and she is the pro vice chancellor of the university of Western Australia's medical department. And they were like, well, we're doctors. Like, I don't know, why don't you make an appointment with one of us? And so it's that piece of like, you know, getting appropriate care just by fluke. And I managed to make an appointment with this doctor and we had quite a long appointment because it was sort of like a, you know, a friend situation, but he asked me about my stomach problems and about sort of the anxiety. And he was like, how does it feel? How does it present? And I said, I get really overwhelmed and overstimulated. And he said, oh, like, do you ever, he goes, how do you go with um, grocery shopping? And I was like, I do, I cannot do that. And just asked me like these really kind of, you know, specific questions. 
And finally, after a few minutes, like this had literally never occurred to me. I was like, do you think I have ADHD or something? And he was like, well, you know, I can't diagnose you, but like do this test. And then, you know, I'm sure like a lot of us, I got like a really high score. And it it was incredible because the minute he sort of said it, I was like, of course. But then, you know, I started listening to your podcast and I got the recommendation for the book ADHD 2.0. And then I kind of was like, oh, this is ADHD. Like there were been all these things like about my life and things that I do and things that I did that I was like, do other people do this? I don't know. And it all like I have highlighted so much of that book because so much of it resonated. So at that point, I was like, oh, I for sure have this. And, you know, luckily, the doctor kind of knew which psychiatrist to refer me to that knew ADHD in women. And, and I was very, very lucky that, you know, I had that doctor who cared and who knew about it and who, you know, referred me to somebody who knew what they were talking about. And so I have had a, a you know, a reasonably quick diagnosis, you know, reasonably and, and treatment and, and then I think I, I did the TEDx talk and that has really kind of opened up a lot of opportunities in terms of like speaking. And a, last, a couple of weeks ago, there was a big ADHD conference here in Western Australia and they invited me to speak as like a, a real life, you know, experience sort of thing. Cause all the rest of the speakers were academics and psychiatrists and stuff. And I found myself sitting like at the conference dinner the night before with like, you know, the greatest minds in ADHD in the country. And I was able to say like, hey, can I ask you this question about my son? And I really recognize like, I have this opportunity now that so many people don't have. And so while I'm so grateful for that, and I have the opportunity to like, say, hey, can I just ask if this treatment plan is something that you all would agree with? It's just not everyone's experience. And it's really hard to kind of come across so many people online who are like, you know, I've been waiting years just to see a psychiatrist. So it's a, it's been a real eye opener for me. So once you knew it was ADHD and you had the benefit of hindsight, what are some of the traits or symptoms that you always wondered about, but now you recognize them as like, duh, that was ADHD? <laughs> yeah, well, I think a really big one is um, sort of looking for things. Uh, also, the time blindness um, mm. thing is a real big one for me. So like time blindness and then also times just like change themselves in my head. Like, so, you know, I will do, say I'm doing something every Tuesday at three for like 12 weeks, you know, one, one Tuesday, I'll just be like, oh no, that's at two. Like, and it just like changes and then I'm late. And then of course that gets into that thing of like, you know, why can't I do this? Why does this keep happening? So it, that sort of thing. And then also just like the complete overwhelm of parenting and sort of working. So like before I was diagnosed with ADHD, I I was a teacher, an English teacher. And where I live, you know, I had to drive 70 kilometers to school every day, which is some other amount in miles, but it's a long time. And my husband is a community paramedic. So his job is kind of really all over the place. And just the like going to work, working all day, and then getting home and having to like 
cook. And, and I just sort of one day was like, I don't think that this is supposed to be this hard. Mm. And, and that's when I kind of just decided to start my business. And because I have ADHD, I was like, oh, I'll just do something else. And I did, and it's been great. But so that sort of like real struggle with that adulting, like I just would so often be like, why can people do this? Like why? And then another big one is, you know, when you're like cooking something and you say it comes in a packet and you look at the instructions and you're like, yep, got it. And you put them in the garbage and then you have to take them out of the garbage like four times because you can't remember what you're supposed to do. So it's those kinds of things. But the one that really stood out to me was um, I used to lie a lot as a child. And I always like as an adult, I've kind of looked back on that and gone like, why did I do that? I just didn't understand why. Like I would lie about things that I didn't need to lie about. And like later when I was a teenager, I would lie about where I was going, even though I wasn't like going anywhere, quote unquote, bad or unacceptable. Mm. And then when I read ADHD 2.0 and kind of understood that that's like impulsivity, it made a lot more sense. And it makes a lot more sense, like in terms of my um, youngest child, who is very impulsive and, and does lie because it's that like magical thinking. I want this to be true. And so I say it. So that for me was actually the really biggest thing. Cause I was sort of like, am I a bad person? Like I, you know, my parents didn't make it okay to lie. Like I just didn't understand why I did that. And so that was really helpful for me. Again, I think it's that board game philosophy yeah. though as well because I lied too as a child but it mm. was never about the big stuff it was yeah. silly stuff like I would steal my mom's cat-eyed ridiculous oversized glasses like for <laughs> an adult with diamonds on the side you know and I was in second grade and I'd be Mrs. Johnson I got new glasses and she must have looked at me and said oh my god no parent would buy that for their yeah. child you know? do your parents hate you <laughs> <laughs> Just silly things or, you know, I, I remember my fourth grade teacher, Mrs. Wright, she had these, these colored pens that she would grade with. And I wanted to try them so badly, but I couldn't just go over there and say, can I try your pen? So when she wasn't there, I stole one of them mm -hmm. and then she made a big old deal and I was going to return it. I just wanted to try it. She made a big old deal, like where are her pens and they need to show up and by then, I was too scared to get them out of the bottom of my messy-ass desk. Exactly. And so I just let it sit there, and it went on for weeks. And then one day, I guess my desk was so bad, and everybody <gasps> was cleaning out their desks. And I remember Mrs. Wright walked over, picked up, you know, opened up the – it was one of those desks where the top opens. Yeah. And took all the stuff and threw it on the ground because I was <sighs> supposed to clean out my desk. But it wasn't just me. It was all the kids. And yeah. there was the pen. And oh I my was God, Tracy. mortified. And I never, like, I wasn't, you know, I didn't mean to do that, but it just sort of, that was probably impulsivity. Yeah. Well, can so, I tell you, a couple of weeks yeah. ago, my youngest child, Will, is six, and they were on the bus, and the bus driver was, like, making sure the kids' seatbelts were done up or something, and Will jumped up and honked the horn of the bus, which is, no. like a cardinal sin. Wow. And yeah. the bus driver lost his mind and Will was just devastated and got off Will? the bus and was crying and and he said it was an accident. And 
what I've realized is it was an accident doesn't mean what it means for us. For Will, it means like, I didn't know I was going to do it. I didn't plan to do it. I just did it. And, you know, so instead of kind of being like, how dare you? You know, I said, it's not safe for you to touch the equipment on the bus. And like Rick, the bus driver, needs to be able to do the things that Rick needs to do and know that you're going to stay seated and blah, blah, blah. But it's also really hard to, you know, to know when that stuff is going to happen. And I know that you, you know, you didn't do that to be naughty. Like when, when Will says it's an accident, it's because I didn't mean to, I didn't plan to, it wasn't like, it wasn't done to kind of be bad. It was just, it just happened. So that, that's been really interesting. How old is Will? Six. Oh, he's just a baby. Oh, and like just such a little sweetie pie. But I, <laughs> this is, I mean, obviously I'm saying this with my tongue firmly in my cheek, but I often say he's so cute. I want to kill him <laughs> because we just, you know, we trigger each other so much. And so I'm doing a lot of work to kind of, you know, understand Will and, realize that, you know, I had good parenting, but the way that I want to parent this child with ADHD is to help them, you know, understand that the things that they're doing and the reactions that they have are not bad behaviors. They're like, Will doesn't know what to do. And so that's what Will is doing. And and so it's about that emotional regulation stuff, which is so hard to help a child regulate when you're dysregulated. And that's sort of the big like learning curve that I'm on right now. So is Will a lot like you or is he very different from you? Interestingly, Will does not identify as a girl or a boy. So we've just started using they, them pronouns with Will. Will is a lot like me in terms of really kind of outwardly confident, but when we took Will to the pediatrician for the first time about ADHD, like, I mean, I thought that Will had ADHD before I even knew I had ADHD, but the doctor actually said, Will has very high anxiety and like, they don't know what to do. And, and, you know, I'm not proud of this, but I say this because I think it's really important for us to be open and honest about how hard this stuff can be. But before I kind of had that understanding that Will um, these aren't behaviors. These are Will's natural reactions to things like Will would do things. And I would kind of think, you know, that what, what Will's doing right now, that's the kind of kid I did not want. Mm. And that was a really uncomfortable feeling, but now I can kind of go, Oh, like they're not doing this to make me mad or to trigger me. Like Will is struggling. And so trying to, understand what Will is going through and and help Will through different things has, I think it's like that, that compassion piece where, you know, when you find out you have ADHD, I mean, in my case anyway, it made me a bit more compassionate towards myself. So like, oh, you're not a complete idiot because you messed up that time. There's a reason, right? And so I've been able to, you know, in some cases, <laughs> and I'm trying to do it more, extend that compassion to Will which is making things a little bit easier, at least. So what has changed since you were diagnosed? Um, everything. And I wonder if this is a common sort of experience. 
I was diagnosed at the beginning of maybe like finally I got my diagnosis in like maybe March 2021. And it took me until sort of September to kind of go, oh, this affects every aspect of my life. Like this is a reckoning and an understanding of who I am as a person. This isn't just you know, a thing about me. And again, like, I'm not saying it's everything about me, but I'm saying it affects every aspect of my life. It affects the way I have friendships, the way I work, the way my marriage works, the way I interact, the way I interpret experiences and events and and all that kind of stuff. So it was quite a kind of protracted process of understanding the extent to which ADHD affects me. And so I guess the thing that has changed is, yeah, like I kind of now look back and go like, I literally don't understand how I was like living. (laughs) But I guess like when you have these sort of discrete things that are hard for you, and then those discrete things actually kind of turn out to be one thing you kind of realize the magnitude that that one thing has on your life. So I think, yeah, like I'm, I'm more, I guess, understanding of like why I have the issues that I have. And in some cases I'm like more compassionate to myself, but I mean, I think a lot of us have just like a vicious inner critic. And so that is something that I've been working on. So like, I've, you know, I've finally found like, a type of therapy that actually makes sense to me and makes me feel better rather than, you know, make just making me feel worse because I can't like interrupt my neural pathways like they want you to do in CBT, like because I have no control over my brain. So sort of things like that have kind of changed in that I understand more about myself. But yeah, still really kind of struggling to, you know, make it work all the time, which I mean, I feel like nobody knows how to make things work all the time, but it's, yeah, it's been a really big, like a life-changing thing for, for our family. In a good way though, it sounds. Yeah. In a good way. We understand sort of ourselves more and, and it's really interesting because my husband, David is like an angel, right? And, and we, have been together for 15 years. And when I realized that I had ADHD, I kind of was like, you know, he, David has always done quite a lot of the adulting. And I kind of, you know, said, you know, in a moment of whatever, you know, do you feel like ripped off because I don't do a lot of this stuff? And he's like, Martha, like I knew you when I married you. I married you. I love you. I never thought that you were automatically going to, you know, become amazing at like, grocery shopping and cooking and all those, you know, mm-hmm. things that quote unquote mothers or women are, you know, meant to do. But we each kind of do the things that we're good at and and we're supposed to do. Yes. And and we have this understanding of like, you know, it doesn't matter that David is the man and therefore he's the one who's supposed to do X, Y, and Z, and I'm the woman and I'm supposed to do this. Like we just sort of do the things that we're each good at and that there was never that expectation of like, Martha's going to do this, this, and this. Cause he was like, I knew that you were never going to do that. So I was like, Oh, phew. <laughs> right. So I, I suspect that the division of labor is actually fair. 
Mm. Yeah, it, it it is. And like, if anything, it's like David does more of the sort of household stuff, but we, and, and, you know, occasionally we have conversations where I'm like, I feel, you know, I feel bad and about that. And he's like, but the things that you do, you know, the, I'm very focused on like our kids and sort of their self-esteem and their comfort and their autonomy. And so I'm, I'm focused on sort of the language that we use with them and the type of parenting. Like we each had very similar parenting, like lovely and engaged parents. But, you know, there's still that thing of like, you should behave like this. This is what a kid should be doing. And so we're trying to kind of let go of some of that stuff and respect the children that we actually have. And so I do a lot of like the mental gymnastics around that stuff. And I do like more useful day-to-day things, but he's like, Martha, that is like more important than like going to get the groceries. And I'm like, yeah, I know. But like, if it wasn't for you, we would be like starving to death while we're like affirming our children. (laughs) So we're both very important. (laughs) Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Okay. So I know there's someone sitting, listening to this saying, you need to ask what type of therapy did Martha do that actually works for her brain? So let us know what that is. Okay. So I have this friend who is just, you know, I we became friends sort of a year and a half ago. I'm actually sitting in her studio right now because I needed to get out of my own house because the kids haven't gone to school yet. And this woman is an incredible business strategist with this amazing work history. And she's also an artist and sort of has, she's a bit older than me and has had a lot of life experiences and she was telling me about this therapy called IFS, Internal Family Systems. Have you heard of it? I have, but I don't know what it is. And it was something that literally I've only heard about within the last month. Yeah. Okay. So IFS and like, it's really, I'm obviously not a professional and I can only kind of explain it the way that I understand it. And when you first start talking about it, it sounds a little bit like disassociative identity disorder. But the idea of IFS is that within the self, there are different parts. And those parts are kind of based on like experiences that you've had, right? So in the version of IFS that I'm doing with my therapist, there's like an attached part. And that's like a young child part that just really wants to love and connect, right? And then there's like this very strong fight part that is, you know, always ready to like jump down someone's throat and defend somebody or kind of defend me, the self. And and those different parts are kind of based in like, you know, traumas or experiences that you've had as a kid. And Mm -hmm. so the idea of IFS is that as we've kind of gone through life and we've tried to manage the experiences that we've had, we have a feeling bubble up of like anger or the urge to fight. And we kind of, we're like, we just need to ignore that. We need to just like let the feeling wash over us and ignore it sort of thing. But what IFS does is instead of doing that, you talk to those parts and you say like, look, you know, say to the fight part, I understand that like you really want to defend me and and you're really trying to protect like the other you know sort of younger parts and you work really hard to make sure that like 
nothing is unfair. And, and I appreciate that. So it's like validating those different parts of yourself rather than denying that they exist. And then it kind of gets to the point where like, I had a really hard experience a couple of weeks ago with a very, very close friend that, you know, we've been friends for 15 years and she broke up with me essentially. And it was really devastating. And previously that would have turned into like this, you know, huge deal. And it, you know, it was a big deal to me, but because of IFS, what I was able to realize is like, oh, the part of me that's really hurt is like this attached part that wants to be loved and doesn't want to be rejected. And so I could like talk to her and be like, you know, this is so hard. And it's really, you know, when you feel misunderstood, it's really hard. But like, I'm here for you, the self, I am here and I'm looking out for you. You don't have to fix this. I am fixing it. And like just that acknowledgement, it's like with a little kid when they're really upset and you acknowledge their emotions, like allowed me to like get on with this so much quicker and, and kind of understanding like, yeah, I'm an adult, but like the experiences that I've had as a kid live in my body and acknowledging like, yeah, because of this experience, you probably feel like this and that's really hard. And so it's, yeah, it's, I don't know if I'm explaining it particularly well, but that's kind of what it is. There's quite a good book called No Bad Parts by Richard Schwartz. I've got the audiobook, and like in every chapter, there's like a meditation that you can do. And it's just kind of like, it gets you into the understanding of like how it works and that has been useful, but it's, yeah, it's been really helpful. And then the other thing that this therapist did is something called depth therapy, which is based in EMDR, uh, which is that EMDR is kind of the idea of stimulating either side of your brain to allow you to process sort of memories and experiences. EMDR can be done sort of if you're in therapy, like by moving your eyes back and forth. It can also be done holding like, um, you know, like a buzzer in each hand and it buzzes in one hand and then buzzes in the other. And it, the idea is that what it does is puts your brain into a similar state that it's in when you're in REM sleep, because that's sort of when you process the things that happen to you in a day. So when, yeah, so the way that my therapist does it is like, I have an app that does a beep, like a beep in one ear and a beep in one ear. It's like that binaural beats thing. And then you kind of can process things that have happened without like dragging yourself back through the trauma and talking about it. Like, so she'll say, you know, what thoughts, feelings, emotions, or memories do you notice? And things just kind of bubble up. And like, I am not a person who kind of buys into a lot of stuff. And I was very skeptical about this whole thing, but it is the first time that I have legitimately been like, oh, my zone of tolerance has grown. Like I can stay calm in more situations now. And it like has worked so much for me. Yeah. So we're not talking about eye movement, desensitization and reprocessing. This is something in conjunction with EMDR? Um, so the, my therapist explained, you know, to me that the kind of basis of EMDR was a, 
a psychologist who was going through cancer treatment and was walking through the forest and realized that when she moved her eyes back and forth to the left and the right, she felt regulated. And so that kind of led to this, you know, research into why that is. And then what they've kind of realized is that any kind of, you know, binaural stimulation of one side of the brain or the other can help you to kind of process memories. And so it can be done with the eye movement. It can be done with like tapping on either side of your shoulders or whatever, or like with these sounds. So it's, yeah, the same kind of idea as EMDR. You know, there's something in tapping too called the nine gamut, which does the same thing where, you know, your eyes are hard right and then hard left. And yeah. it does, you know, a similar thing. It just calms your nervous system down. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. Okay. Well, I know that everybody was going, not everybody, but I know that there were going to be listeners who were thinking, okay, what is it? What is it that finally has worked for uh, Martha? So thank you for sharing that. Okay. So I want to talk about your TED Talk. Okay. I found it fascinating because you said something. First of all, it's really good. So congratulations. Thank you. And it's about ADHD. So we'll post in the show notes the link. So, you know, any of our listeners can go there and watch it. And you didn't say, you didn't quite say this outright in your TED Talk, but you basically alluded to the fact that you can't memorize. Is that true? No. So I was worried about memorizing it and because it was like 18 minutes or something. Mm -hmm. And I did memorize it. Um, and I was, you know, it was so interesting because that day was so ridiculous you know, COVID was just really not a thing in Western Australia. And so in January 2022, so the, the beginning of this year was the first time that we ever had to wear masks in Western Australia. Like it just wasn't a thing here. And we've been so lucky. But that had sort of just started. And my husband, who's a paramedic, had thought he needed to have, well, he took my son for a COVID test and he was like, oh, while I'm here, I'll have a COVID test. And I was like, dude, like you aren't going to be able to come to my TEDx talk. <laughs> so that was, you know, it was just this like kind of ridiculous day where just like crazy things kept happening. And the way that I was practicing my Wait, TED so talk. He was choosing to have a COVID test overcoming and seeing you? It's not that he chose, he just didn't think that like, oh, if I have a, if I have a COVID test two days before, I'm not going to have the results. And so he had to isolate, but he, it was like, you didn't have COVID. And like, he thought my son might have COVID. And then because he was there, he did a test. Wow. And because he'd done a test, he couldn't come. And because he always does the right thing to the point that I'm, um, it's super annoying. <laughs> that was just another one of the you know, experiences of that happening. But I was practicing my TEDx talk at that point because I had it memorized like driving. Um, and so I did a big loop and I drove around and practiced it. And I was like, I know this. And then I had the sort of at the beginning of the TEDx talk, I refer to like when I asked this ADHD Facebook group, how can I memorize this? And people were like, well, actually, like memorization is ableist. And I thought, oh, that's a kind of a good way into it. But so I did have it memorized. But then right before my TEDx talk, the speaker ahead of me basically told me that she didn't believe in ADHD and that children just needed to climb more trees 
And this is an extremely respected community member and really just kept digging herself deeper into this whole, you know, the medications they give kids are horrible. And this is right before. And so I just was like, oh my God. And I was bawling my eyes out and just so distressed and kind of had to pull it together in the 15 minutes before my talk and then go out there and do it. And that really rattled me. And and it was really unfortunate because I kind of, I had the cards and at the beginning I kind of, I made the cards a character in it and I put them down and I was like, I can do this. And then I ended up kind of needing to like bend down and look at the cards a couple of times. And they cut out the part, unfortunately, where I picked up the cards and everyone Mm. clapped because Mm. it was like such a real moment. And like the videographer, I guess, sort of didn't realize like, oh, like I think the videographer was like, oh, well, she probably doesn't want that highlighted because that's like, quote unquote, embarrassing. Uh. But that is actually like, you know, they were a character in the TEDx talk by that point. And it was a really lovely moment because, you know, in my head, I'm like, oh, I just need to pick these cards up. And this audience was like so on board and like gave this huge round of applause. And so can I memorize things? Yeah. But then it was just really derailed by this like really shitty, sorry for swearing, I don't know if we're allowed to, um, experience of someone saying to me right before, like, oh, well, that, that thing you're talking about doesn't exist. And, and that is what kind of really rattled me. And then it, but in a way that made the talk more effective because I was extremely emotional about it. Well, and I loved that you called her out. Yeah. So she must have been there listening to this. Yep. Yep. And and so it was like, it was, you know, those times where like, you're like, oh, I wish I had said this. It was the time when I literally had been practicing my response to that question for months <laughs> and I got to say it into a microphone. So it was really good in that sense. And I was glad, obviously, that I, you know, went ahead with it. But there were moments in that time when I'm trying to organize myself and feel better that I was like, I don't know if I could do this. Like, I don't know if I can go out there and do this. It was really, really hard for me to understand how a person who, like she was doing a TEDx talk on how we have to honor each other's stories and honor each other's truths. And then that happened. And, and it was just like, I, I was so disappointed because I respect this woman so much. Like it made it worse because I wished it was somebody that I could just be like, Oh, what an idiot. But it wasn't. I would send her ADHD 2.0. I would send her every article. I mean, come on. What, you know, National Institute of Health, the American Psychiatry Association, American Pediatric Association. I mean, it, it just goes on and on. And then these people just decide, oh, no, no, the scientists don't know anything. You know what I loved about your TED Talk, though, is that the way you started it, you started it with talking about how successful you are, you know, that you have a loving family, great relationships, three degrees, you have a successful business, you're confident, Mm -hmm. but, you know, things have been easier for you, too, because of privilege and, of course, raised by feminist parents, but that doesn't change the fact that you may have all of these things that work so well for you, 
but you still struggle with the basics like shopping and forgetting what you're doing. And I don't know, sitting through boring meetings, right? Yeah. 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 I thought it was really effective. And I was just curious because I cannot memorize anything. Like I, if you give me one line, you can feed it to me 50 times. I cannot memorize one line. And if you give it to me and I can, I can repeat it back to you. If you ask me an hour from now, I literally can't put it together at all. So that is why I haven't done a TED Talk, because if there is not a teleprompter, some sort of outline, I won't even know where I'm starting, going, coming. I, I just can't do it. Yeah. And I, I think I was concerned about that, but I, yeah, I like, so what I did to memorize it is, um, I mean, I wrote it and then I broke it up into like these big cards and I stuck all the cards on my mirror and I would stand in front of my mirror and use the cards and just kind of go through it. And I made it into like, you know, these are the sections. So it starts with this. And then, so when I had an understanding of what the sections were, I could kind of just then memorize the words, but like, you know, it just goes to show you that like all ADHD brains are different. Like I really struggle with like, you know, I have an English degree because I suck at taking tests and you don't have to take tests to get an English degree. So it's like, right. you know, yeah. I think you were, are you a lawyer? I am. Yeah. And so like you obviously can memorize stuff because of like the amount of study that you would have had to do to become a lawyer and the amount of things that you have to kind of understand and like understand concurrently is amazing. So it's, it's like we each kind of have these obviously different skill sets based on these brains that we have. But I mean, I think if there might be a way that you could memorize a TED talk, but the other thing is like, it isn't reasonable to say that you have to memorize a TED talk because not all people can do that. Oh, and what makes me so sad about this is I am a fantastic public speaker. As long as I can do it my way and you will not notice that I'm, you know, looking at a note or on a teleprompter because I've I've gotten to the point where I'm so good at it. But my brain too, I have always had horrible working memory. When I understand then I'm okay because I don't have to memorize. There's always something to pile on that next thought, right? With or to attach the next thought. But since I hit probably my mid forties, the little working memory that I had where, you know, when I was 12 years old, 13 years old, I was the lead in all the school plays, not just in English, but also in German. What? So I had an amazing memory, but it was puberty. It was hormones. And so since my, I'd say mid forties, I can't memorize anything. And so I have such an understanding of what it feels like to have had a fairly neurotypical brain. Granted, there were always those ADHD qualities, but now I really get it when people struggle with um, ADHD and recall because I I have zero. It's gotten so bad. Yeah. But you know what? Like, I think you would be a really ideal person to do a TEDx talk. And I think because of your profile, like there are TEDx women events where like high profile women go and talk about, you know, whatever they're talking about. And at those events, like, you know, people want to know what you have to say. And 
they would have to make allowances. Like there are, you know, even when I did mine, there was a screen that showed, like if you had slides, there was a screen in front of you that showed those slides. And so like there would be some way of supporting you because if not, it's discriminatory. And like, that's a whole TED talk in in itself. You know, the other thing, Martha, which was just ah, so eye-opening to me. So I have never had success with ADHD medication. It just makes me, you know, more anxious, more dis, you know, combobulated, more, you know, more of all of the ADHD traits. Yeah. However, one time, the first time I took Ritalin, I was actually giving a TED-like talk Mm -hmm. and I could not memorize it. Yeah. I remember popping the Ritalin into my mouth, getting in the car, and I am telling you, I went through it, that speech. Five times, I did not miss a beat. That's amazing. Ritalin never worked for me again. And I think it was just a tease because I probably would have said, oh, medication isn't important, right? Because it wasn't my experience. And so I'm so grateful that I had that one experience where I saw what happens when stimulant medication or ADHD medication generally works, but it never worked again. <laughs> so do you, are there like supplements or things that you do take if you don't mind sharing? I have tried everything. Okay. So you, you are, you're just like living the dream with ADHD and completely unsupplemented and medicated. No. Now I just got the people at, um, Oh my gosh, what is it called? Uh, Athletic Greens just yeah. sent me a whole big kit. And so I'm yeah. super excited to try that because I've heard so many good things about it. And I know that they sponsor um, Andrew Huberman's podcast, okay. one of the sponsors. And I really, I really trust him. I have found that a lot of the things that he talks about, they work for me. Like, you know, I was just blowing off sleep for the longest time. And now that I, more, I realized that, oh, that makes a difference, you know, or like hydration. Oh, guess what? When you're walking around and you're not completely dehydrated, your brain works better. I have literally tried everything. And you know what it does? Anything that messes with hormones, even things like yeah. what's that high protein diet that everybody was doing where it, you know, it kind of jacks up your testosterone. That okay. made, made, you know, my brain worse. Um, okay. Intermittent fasting works. That's pretty much the only thing. I am much clearer with intermittent okay. fasting and first thing in the morning. So we're recording almost at four o'clock and I only do it every once in a while for my Australian guests. Aww, thank you. Um, but it's really hard for me to stay focused yeah. and it makes a big difference, you know, the time of day. Totally. But anyway, enough about me. So I want to know, what is it that you do now? We haven't talked about business at all, but I know you're an entrepreneur. Yeah. So um, I'm a copywriter. You know, that means I write words for the internet. So I write words for people's websites or blogs. I do um, email marketing sequences. And then just sort of anything that really needs to be written. I do kind of some reports and also help people with sort of lead magnets and and just getting people to be able to communicate in you know an appropriate tone of voice and and style their values and the value that they can kind of give to their customers. So yeah, I work from my guest room and I don't have to drive 45 minutes back and forth anymore. But the thing that I love the most about it, I mean I've always loved writing. But, you know, I used to be a teacher and working in a Christian school and I'm not religious and 
I love that in my own business, I can actually be myself and sort of be open about the opinions that I have and care about the things that I care about. And I think that's part of why I'm so outspoken about ADHD, because it's like, you know, if I can get through 39 years of life without being diagnosed, anybody can. Yeah. And I think that like even doing the TEDx talk, I get emails from people every day, like women all over the world who are like, you know, oh my God, like I've never felt like understood in this way and sort of thank you. So it makes me feel like, you know, the things that are kind of really tricky do have, I don't know, can have a positive outcome, I guess. But yeah, that, oh that what I do is just work with clients and, and help them to communicate clearly and, and with personality. So you were working as a teacher and during the pandemic, you just said, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore. And I'm going to um, open this business. Well, actually, I quit teaching, you know, so the school year in Australia ends in December. And so I started my business in 2019 at the beginning of the year and then kind of grew it while I was working. And I had an amazing mentor who's been a copywriter for 20 years, and she's a really good friend. We ended up becoming business partners for a time. And so I was able to grow the business like without making all of the mistakes that you make as a new business owner. It was just like the most amazing sort of mentorship relationship. Um, And then I quit, you know, I quit at the end of 2019. I quit teaching the best time to quit teaching in the history of the universe. And so at the beginning of 2020, I was like, just, you know, starting to work from home for the first time. And I was like, man, I'm really having trouble like getting things done. But at that time, the whole world was starting to work from home and people were like talking about how hard it was. And I was like, I guess it's this hard for everybody. And I just sort of, you know, I was trying like, I read like Atomic Habits and was trying to be like productive and, and it's it's that thing. Sorry. Can I ask you about Atomic Habits? So I uh-huh. read it too. And I just found that 98% of his advice was for a neurotypical brain. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Like, cause I, I didn't know I had ADHD when I read it and yeah. it just made me feel like more of a failure. And cause I was like, well, I'm doing these atomic habits and I'm still not able to kind of get yeah. anything done. Like I would kind of identify what I wanted to get done each day. And like, I was like, these are really reasonable things. This is a reasonable amount. I want to do these things. I'm capable of doing these things. And then I wouldn't do them, but I would do 700 other things. And what I've kind of only recently just realized is like, my brain knows what's important. So even if I'm trying to trick myself into like, oh, I want to get this done before the deadline, my brain is like, "Mm -mm, we don't need to do that yet. And when my brain is like, okay, now it's time, I get things done quicker and, and they're done better than if I try to like MacGyver my way into getting it done, quote unquote, early. So, you know, my, my friend that I was telling you about the, the business strategist who I co-work with two days a week has been amazing. Cause she's like, you know, are your clients complaining that stuff isn't done? And I was like, no. And she's like, are they happy with the work that you do? Yes. And she goes, then trust mm. your brain, like do the thing on a given day that you feel compelled to do. 
And when the deadline approaches, you will feel compelled to do this thing. So that has been a huge shift for me to kind of not beat myself up for having not done those three specific things and realize like, oh, but you did all this other stuff that needed to be done. You know, that is a fascinating comment because I agree. I think what we do, because we have this these overactive brains, we are creating all this extra work and seeing all these, you know, new, bright, shiny things that we could do. And, that we, you know, and then we it turns into we should do it. When in fact, with the neurotypical people, they're just like looking ahead and, okay, I'm going to do one and then I'm going to do two and then oh, I'm going to do yeah. three. And then and they're happy with that, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's been really interesting and, and kind of understanding like, oh, your brain isn't like other people's. So you kind of can't, it's not fair to expect it to to do that. And, and like what I was, I used to, and I still do, I describe ADHD as like death by a thousand cuts because the problems or the ways that it manifests in my life anyway when people demand that you explain it to them, which they do all the time, none of the things seem like a very big deal. But like over the course of a day or a week or a month or a life, you get this understanding that like, oh, there's things that I really suck at, right? And so I'd sort of like, I'd get to the end of a day of work and I wouldn't have done those three things. And I feel like I, you know, I imagine this little bowl of resilience and my bowl of resilience at that point is empty because I've had these like, quote unquote, failures throughout the day. So when my kids get home from school, I have less in my bowl of resilience to deal with whatever they're going to kind of throw at me and, and the evening routine. And for me, what medication has allowed me to do is to get, you know, things done and feel like I am, you know, a useful human, which fills my bowl of resilience a little bit. So that when, you know, the nighttime routine happens, I have more in the bowl so that I can kind of deal with those things better. So I do take medication and, you know, it's not, I mean, it's obviously not perfect, but it allows me to kind of go, okay, you know, even if I don't, you know, now I understand I need to trust my brain. I'm going to go, I have these 10 things to do over the week and I'm going to focus on whatever I feel compelled to focus on on that day. And that is a success. So it's, yeah, about redefining success. And then I guess having ways to keep your bowl a little bit, you know, more filled. <laughs> well, and positive emotion, right? If you, I mean, what we do know about our brains is if we are not in positive emotion, we just don't function well at all. So if you're constantly getting things done and all you can look at is what you didn't get done versus celebrate what you did get done. Well, no wonder. Yeah. It's so much negative emotion. Okay. Before I let you go, I've got two questions. I know that you have something called hyper-focus weeks. Do you want to tell us about them? Yeah. So this is kind of another way that I have, you know, started to understand my brain more. Um, the copywriting process, generally, if somebody hires me, we kind of like, we have a meeting, we have a brief, they tell me all the things I need to know about their business. And then over the course of a couple of weeks, I write, you know, the copy, I send them the version, they give me the changes, and it takes ages. And I realized that that actually is not the best way for me to work. So I've come up with a service where the client gets the final result quicker. 
and I get to work in a way that works for me. So that's what hyper-focus weeks are. So I do them mostly for email sequences. If people are, you know, they have a, a community and they're, they want like a welcome sequence for new subscribers or like a launch sequence for a new product or, you know, even just nurture sequences for their current subscribers, we kind of talk about, you know, what are your goals for this sequence? And that happens, we do sort of a brief, um, say on a Thursday, then the hyper-focus week starts the following Tuesday and I write the copy, I get it, you know, professionally proofread, I get it all happening with the strategy and then they get the final product, you know, the following Tuesday. So that hyper-focus has like these huge benefits for the client because most people, I'm sure you don't do this with um, your copywriters, Tracy, but people do not leave enough time <laughs> to engage with a copywriter, right? They're like, oh, I, I need this that, in ever. two weeks. And I'm like, well, I'm booked out for six weeks, so sorry. But this kind of allows people to get their copy quicker and allows me to work in a way that, you know, there's dopamine because it's like, there is a deadline and I need to get this done. And it's just so, I'm working on one this week actually. And it's just like, it, it's really working for me. So yeah, that's my sort of new service. My website is wordcandy.com.au. And there's a banner at the top of the website that does take you straight to that service. But yeah, it's been a really cool kind of process to set that new service up. And I actually like, yeah, sort of it, have engaged with other service providers to help me to do, you know, like I didn't have time to write my own copy for that sales page. And so it's like, oh, I, what I did was experience someone else's premium service. And like that kind of helped me to kind of understand how I wanted to shape mine. So it's been, yeah, it's been really cool. I've been doing them probably, I don't know, for a, a few months or something. And it's really working for me. So I'm, I'm hoping to kind of change the way my business works to be, to sort of get most of my income from those hyper-focus weeks. And, and yeah, that's sort of has benefits for it me. It makes and sense because you're not constantly transitioning from this to that, which, you know, yeah. we just, we can't do that well. No, no. And it like the difficult thing too is like, so say if I send you your copy deck and, you know, everyone has lots of stuff on and lots of stuff to do and that, you know, getting feedback back to me just isn't a priority sometimes. And so, I find it really hard as a freelance writer to, you know, understand, you know, when am I booked until, right? Because so like now I have this system that allows me to do that, but it gets really hijacked because I can't control how quickly other people respond, right? So this yeah. kind of eliminates that problem because no. it's like, this is the amount of time and it, it just makes it really clear. It makes so much sense. And you, you're basically building a system that works for your brain. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's that thing of sort of, you know, I, I want people to understand that like ADHD is a part of me and I can use it, you know, I can use these powers such as they are for good. <laughs> and also that, you know, I just know, I know a lot of people that like sort of work in corporate or, you know, even in schools are sort of like reluctant to talk about their ADHD. And, and I think, you know, the more that I can kind of say about it, the more people will understand and they can go, oh, I want to work with her because she does those hyper-focus weeks, because she can work in that way. That's like a, a feature, not a bug. Right. Right. Okay. So what is your number one ADHD workaround? Oh, God. 
Well, I mean, I always like come up with them and then forget them. Um, <laughs> but I, I guess my number one ADHD workaround is that thing of, you know, trying to uh, systematize things, have a, a, an understanding of what's coming up and then trust what my brain wants to work on. Hmm. I think that's a great one. So Martha, where can people find you if they want to know more about you and what you do? So um, my website is www.wordcandy.com.au. I'm also on LinkedIn, just at Martha Barnard Ray. And I'm on Instagram at wordcandycoms. And yeah, I love getting messages and, and especially working with you know, entrepreneurs that have ADHD, um, I really kind of get a buzz out of that because we really understand each other and it makes it really fun. Yeah, I can see why. Well, Martha, thank you so much for spending time with us here today. I totally appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm a little bit starstruck actually, Tracy. So I really appreciate it. And I, yeah, you know, sometimes when you're sitting in the far southwest corner of Western Australia, you think, does any of this like matter? <laughs> and so to be on this podcast with you is just a real thrill for me. Oh, well, thank you so much. I appreciate you. I appreciate you too. Have a great weekend. <laughs> One final reminder, if you struggle with planners, I have created a planner just for the ADHD brain, for my ADHD brain, for your ADHD brain. It is simple, straightforward, and easy in and easy out, so you're actually going to use it. You can find the link on our show notes for AOK every day at tracyoutsuka.com forward slash podcast forward slash 203. Or you can go directly to tracyoutsuka.com forward slash AOK hyphen every day. And don't forget to use the code podcast2023 to receive $10 off the digital version. So that's what I have for you for this week. If you like this episode with Martha, please let us know by leaving a review. Our goal is to change the conversation around ADHD, helping as many women as we possibly can learn how their ADHD brains work so that they too may discover their amazing strengths. As always, you're listening to ADHD for Smartass Women. Come join me over at tracyoutsuka.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you here next week. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smartass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Outsuka, and we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Not coincidentally, ADHD for Smartass Women, it's also the name of our free Facebook group. We're a totally smartass community of successful, ambitious women who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds. Join us at tracyoutsuka.com where you can also find more information on our Your ADHD Brain is A-OK system. I spy a happier life for us, and I'll see you again next week.